I'd like to invite the congregation to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be reading chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. That's chapter 28, verses 1 through 5. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. Our brother Dean will now bring us this morning's message, the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. Good morning. Welcome to our church service this morning, and a special welcome to Ray and Pat. Um, as some of you may know, we spent um, nearly six years out in Thailand and Southeast Asia, and those were wonderful years. We think about them often. Um, while we were out there, and until this past week, I had no idea about some of the history of Thailand. We thought we knew Thailand. We traveled far and wide, up into the Laos, country of Laos, to the Cambodian border, Malaysian border, on down through Malaysia, Singapore, all over there, Indonesia. But I, I did not know some of the history that I learned just recently have uh, countless books in my library. One of them, I have no idea how long I've had it. By Their Blood, Christian Martyrs of the 20th Century. Had no idea I even had this book. Um, I had just glanced at the cover once in a while, but I'd never opened the book in all these years. When I did so, it, I was stunned. I was absolutely taken back. There's a chapter in here on Thailand. And what it tells us is, this, this book is written by two Christian authors that have written about 40 books. And in researching this particular book, they obviously traveled around the world to all these different countries, all through Europe, all through Nepal, Malaysia, all over the place, including Thailand, China, Manchuria, Korea, all over the place. And they researched martyrs, 20th century martyrs in these different countries. It's absolutely amazing what I learned as I begin to, to read through here. The Thai people are of Mongol descent. They are notably friendly and peaceful. We found that out the first week we were there. Um, and Christian missionaries started going to Thailand in 1828. 1828. Um, some of them, these Christian groups, waited 19 years to baptize their first convert to, to Christianity. Another mission group were there 18 years, and then they gave up, folded their tent, and went home. Uh, very interesting story. Um, and this, these 10 pages on the book of, uh, about Thailand uh, tell us the first believer was a Buddhist scholar from Chiang Mai province. Chiang Mai is up in the Malaysian border area. I'm sorry, it's up on the Burma border area. And he was converted, and because of his conversion, he was a high-ranking Buddhist, seven other Thai, Thai people be, became Christians. When the magistrate of that, of that area found out about it, 
He was furiously angry. And these, these Christian ties had a rope around their neck. They put, pierced their ears and hung them. And the next day, they asked if they would recant. They said, we would not. And they bowed their heads, and then they were killed. I had no idea this could happen in the friendly country that we knew. And by the way, we had traveled all over that area. We went up to Chiang Mai and northern there to the Burmese border. There's people known as the White Mao and the Blue Mao up there. Wonderful people. And we traveled all through that village. And lo and behold, I now learn that in that area, many missionaries had been killed. We had no idea. We had five children with us, and so we were, we were like sitting ducks, if you will. <laughs> But somehow we, we, we made it through. There was one story about a, a single nurse. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but just to give you a flavor. There was one single nurse who was determined to be a missionary out there. Uh, she went out there alone, out in the jungle area. One night in her little hut, um, she had to fight off a cobra. It was a pretty good fight, and she just had a stick is all she had, and she did win that battle. The cobra went down. Um, she had a favorite saying, and it goes like this. The handles of my plow with tears are wet. The shears with rust are spoiled. And yet, and yet, my God, my God, keep me from turning back. She could have gone home. A few days later, she was going off in the jungle to a, an appointment with two Thai friends. And... Um, she was killed. Somebody jumped out behind a tree and used a shotgun and killed her. The interesting thing is in the story, the rest of the story, is that today there's a church planted within 200 yards of where this happened. Remember the Bible talks about a grain of wheat or corn that falls in the ground and it has to die before there can be fruit. Um, the... Um, there are just so many stories, but my, my purpose in bringing this to you is something drives people like that. And I think of Stephen in the book of Acts. Something drives them. They have something in their heart that not too many people have. They're willing to go to a foreign land, away from family, away from friends, and live in the jungle to try to convert and give Christianity to these people who worship pagan gods and believe that um, there is no, no real God, and they have to work their way to heaven. There's seven, seven steps to heaven. Um, what a tragedy. So on this Fourth of July weekend, I thought it was appropriate to think of people like this that have given their all. Talk about fireworks. When you're shot, when you know your last moments are arrive. arrive. Um, one man that... This book tells of, as he lay dying with his wife at his side, he'd been shot, and they finally got him to a hospital. He lingered there for three or four days. And what happened was, as he lay dying there, his wife was at his bedside, and he kept repeating the verses, Blessed be the, the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. In a foreign country, away from home, knowing that your wife's going to be alone, and he could say those words. It's absolutely astounding. The resurrection of our Lord, at last long day of torture and shame was over. The Son of Man and the Son of God lay quiet in the tomb. 
There was terrible sorrow on earth among his followers, but there was joy in heaven as the angels realized Satan's doom had finally come. He was a defeated foe. It's amazing. As Christ died, he had the victory. An amazing paradox. It has no, no part in hum, human thinking. It's just something that's, that's eternal. It's something that's a God thing. As Jesus died, he was victorious. This the most amazing paradox in history. Perhaps the verse in Job applied not only to his birth, but also to his death. The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The human race was now a redeemed race. All the great events of human history, both before this event and after, shrink to nothingness as we contemplate the redemption of our souls by the death and resurrection of our Lord. From a human perspective that day, it seemed all was lost. Jesus' life was wasted, thought the disciples. But wait, there were five people who let Jesus and the world know that his sacrifice was for the redemption of mankind and it was not wasted. First of all, we have Simon, who carried his cross. Next, we have the second and the third people, John, Apostle John and his and the mother of Jesus, who stayed by the cross, even though all the other disciples fled. Fourth, there was a thief who was dying by his side of the Savior, and he acknowledged him Lord and Redeemer, and he called him Lord. He called him Lord. And he just said, remember me when you come in your kingdom, and Jesus promised him eternal life. Fifth, there was a hardened Roman centurion, who, having witnessed the events of Jesus' works and the response of those who tortured him, cried out as he quoted, as quoted in Matthew 27:54, "Truly, this was the Son of God." I think those words came into his mind when he heard Jesus say, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." An astonishing thing for a Roman centurion to say, as this man was a pagan. The darkness and that scripture tells us that enveloped the earth that day was not darker than the darkness of the minds of the descendants of David, the Pharisees who put the Messiah to death and rejected him as their Lord. The chief priests and rulers would not let their hearts be changed by the events they witnessed that day. The star that guided the pagan kings 1,500 miles, they came from the modern country of Iran to celebrate the birth of the Messiah and the new king. The angels who sang anthems for the shepherds over Bethlehem's hills knew him. The sea knew his voice and obeyed him. Disease knew his voice and fled away as he resurrected people from the dead. Death knew his authority and vanished, and new life came as April flowers. The sun he created knew him, and at his cross hid its face. From that scene of the cross. The rocks knew him and shattered into pieces when he cried out on the cross. Those famous seven sayings of Jesus. One of which was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The very earth beneath the cross knew his voice when he uttered the cry in John 19.30. It is finished. And in Luke 23.46. Father, into my, thy hands I commend my spirit. The ground responded with a mighty earthquake. Yet with all this, the priests and the rulers did not know the Messiah 
Or perhaps they didn't want to know him. The king and the redeemer. After the Prince of Peace had died on that cross, it was late Friday afternoon, and the Romans, according to custom at the request of the Jews, went to break the legs of those that had been on, on the cross, that they would not remain there over the Sabbath. They came to the first thief and broke his leg bones, the second likewise, according to Scripture. The next came the Savior, because he was already dead. They did not break his bones. And we all realize there's well over 150 references in the Old Testament to Jesus and what happened to him. Most of those are on Passion Week. This prophecy is found in Exodus 12:46 and in Psalms 34:20. A bone of him shall not be broken. David wrote these words many centuries before the cross and the Calvary event. At that time, the disciples were distraught beyond measure. Their hopes dashed. They had totally forgotten Jesus' words recorded in John 2:19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. They were amazed at the sight of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both very wealthy men asking for and receiving from Pilate permission to take down the body of Jesus and take it away for burial. It is recorded in John 19 like this, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave them leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about one hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in a linen cloth, the custom of the day, and with the spices in the manner of the Jews, to bury. Now in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a sepulcher, wherein was never a man yet laid, there laid they, Jesus, therefore. Now we come to that Sabbath day. Luke tells us in Luke 23. And that day was a preparation day, and the Sabbath drew on. That Sabbath was like no other Sabbath before or since. The disciples' world was destroyed. They were heartbroken, just absolutely terrified. And they were in hiding because of these events. And so the Sabbath passed with great difficulty for those disciples and apostles. But in the heavens above great rejoicing, certainly the angels knew the words of Jesus about the temple being destroyed and in three days Jesus would arise. They knew about that. Can you even imagine the anticipation and excitement that pervaded the heavenly courts? And think of it. This we are made in the image according to scripture. We are all made in the image of God, tells the Bible to us. In Genesis 1.27 we find these words, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. My friends, that would mean our emotions. That would mean our, our brains, our thoughts. We're in the image of God. So now we have emotions. We sometimes cry and weep. We laugh at times. We experience joy and happiness at times. We have anticipation. We have excitement. I would therefore think that God has similar characteristics if we are made in his image. So as the moments and hours went on through the Sabbath, as Jesus lay in the tomb, I can imagine the excitement that started in mountain in the heavens above, among the angels and even with God the Father himself. And finally midnight came and it became the first day of the week. 
you can see the plan for our salvation was not yet complete. From the mystic ages of eternity past, when the decision was made for Jesus to become our Savior and come to earth as a babe, and for his life on earth, for his death on Calvary, and now his resurrection from the dead, to make it all complete. So in heaven the excitement mounted past midnight, sometimes early in the morning according to scripture. God the Father called Gabriel and said, Gabriel, the time has come to wake my son. Go down and get my son. Now here we have a very interesting thing. We realize that Christ was both human and divine at the same time. When he died, his human body died on the cross. But his divinity did not die. Divinity cannot die. God cannot die. This is most difficult, if not impossible, for our mind's human wisdom to understand. How can a, how can a man be God and man at the same time? This is why we will study salvation's story throughout eternity to come. With this, we must remember that God was with and in Jesus as he hung on the cross. One of the greatest verses in the Bible, it tells us God was with Jesus as he hung on the cross. Paul says God was in Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. With this, we must remember that God was with and in Jesus as he hung on that cross. And so God the Father sent Gabriel, we believe it was Gabriel, down through the quarters of space to that tomb in Jerusalem early on Sunday morning. Now it is an interesting phenomenon that if a group of people witness a similar event, each one often tells a different story. It isn't that they're doing that in a, in a bad way. We all remember things a little differently. <clears throat> one will tell it this way, another tell it this way. One will add something, one will add something else. Different aspects of what is seen impress each one in a different way. So it is with the gospel story of the resurrection of our Lord of glory. Each gospel writer emphasizes things slightly different of this wonderful event. And we know there are four gospel writers. Let's take a quick journey into their book this morning. The Gospel of Luke will be first. Luke was a physician. He was a faithful follower of our Lord. Now let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, focusing on chapters 23 and 24. Luke adds certain new dimensions to the story of the resurrection not mentioned in Mark. He talks of Joseph of Arimathea, calls him a counselor and a just and a good man. He talks of Joseph, calls him a counselor. He next tells of Joseph begging for the body of Jesus. And Joseph and Nicodemus took him down from the cross and laid him in a sepulcher, which no man had ever been placed in there. He tells of women who prepared spices and ointment to anoint the body on Sunday morning. Luke tells us they rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Let us pick up the story in Luke 24, verse 8 and onward. And they remembered his words and returned unto the sepulchre and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. Can you believe the next words of Scripture? And their words seemed to the apostles as idle tales, and they believed them not. Can you imagine? Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at which has come to pass. Then Luke records for us this wonderful story of the three people on the road to Emmaus, one of the great stories of Scripture. 
two heartbroken believers in the Messiah had died of the Messiah who had died on the cross outside Jerusalem. They were now walking along in darkness the eight mile trip to the small town of Emmaus outside of Jerusalem. Have you often wondered just what Jesus talked about to those two disciples? I have. I wish for a tape recorder. Oh, to have a recording of that discussion. Jesus talking to these two distressed souls for probably over an hour on that night walk. Luke does not give Luke does give us a few clues about what Jesus talked about, such as verse 25, and he was rather hard on them, saying, Oh fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How about that? Jesus calling them a fool. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So that gives us a big clue of what he talked about. And later on, Luke tells us, he said, These are the words which I spake unto you, which were written in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. So we have a very good idea what the subject matter was. All the verses in the Old Testament that spoke of him and his coming to save mankind for eternity. Certainly those verses from Isaiah and Psalms. Luke closes his story with the words from Luke 24, 50 to 52 to the end of the chapter. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We go to the Gospel of John next. John's Gospel story is next. He picks up the story starting in John 19. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus secretly because of fear of the Jews, according to John. John is a Gospel writer that tells of Nicodemus being with Joseph of Arimathea and also telling us Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe perfume, about a hundred pound weight. Bible commentaries tell us in today's weight that would be about 72 pounds of perfume. 72 pounds for the body of Jesus, very extensive in that day. So Joseph and Nicodemus, no longer afraid, boldly came for Jesus' body to take it down from the cross. Something had happened to them. They were converted. They were born again. <clears throat> Now these, both of these men are believers in the Messiah, even to his death. John starts off chapter 20 with these words. The first day of the week cometh Mary and Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him, they said. Then the disciples, now the next little section here is from John 20, verses 10 to 17. This is one of the most precious wonderful, magnificent words of scripture, these next few verses. Then the disciples went away again into their own house, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. You know, this was Mary Magdalene, you do realize that, of whom Jesus cast out seven devils. She was a lady of the night. She was in big trouble. But when she met Jesus, everything changed. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping, and as she went, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, 
and I know not where they've laid him. And when she had said thus, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. How many times have we done that? We've been impressed with something or we've had an experience and we didn't know that God was guiding us and then suddenly we wake up, wow, I think God's in this thing. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. And she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, to my God and your God. This is so precious. Jesus is here telling us both men and women, we are his brothers and sisters. He refers to it as our God, not my God. He says my God, but then he adds our God. What an incredible thing. We're brethren with Jesus. We have here these beautiful words where Jesus identifies his Father as our Father, his God and our God. Jesus identified himself as our brother and our sister. Then John is the only gospel writer that tells the story of Thomas and his doubting, even after the Lord had risen. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see the hands of with the print of the nails, and put my finger into them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print in his side, and thrust my hand into that side, I will not believe. Thomas, Thomas. After seven or eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them. Peace be unto you, he said. My friends, the doors were shut and Jesus suddenly appears. Yet he carries humanity with him throughout eternity. How can these things be? We cannot answer this. Maybe in heaven we will begin to get an answer to this. Then he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, he was overwhelmed, he couldn't believe he had doubted. He said, my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me and hast believed, <laughs> this is for us, my friends, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking to each one of us here this morning. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. John then records this wonderful invitation of salvation for every one of us in verse 31. But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing ye might have life in his name. What a wonderful promise of eternity for every one of us. We come now to the Gospel of Matthew. I've saved this for the last because it is my favorite rendition of the resurrection of our Lord. Read it with me in Matthew 28. Please note that the name you find in all the Gospels is of Mary, Mary Magdalene. Some might ask the question, does God really save to the uttermost? Well, we have the answer by noting that all four Gospel writers include Mary Magdalene in their telling of this story. Every one of the Gospel writers mention her. Let us read now from Matthew 28, 1 to 10. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, 
came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I heard a great, great preacher one time say, he really hit this point pretty hard. Here's the angel sitting on the stone that everybody on earth thought was secure. And he's sitting there, and he might have just said, not in human words, but maybe in some kind of heavenly message to Satan, who was there also with his evil angel. Now what are you going to do about it, Satan? What do you have to say now? I'm sitting on the stone that you thought held the Son of God in that sepulcher. What are you going to do about it, Satan? His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus. Can angels read minds? Heavenly angels, that is. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. Is this a phenomenon or what? All the people on the earth in Jesus' time that he helped rose from the dead, healed them, thousands of them. Remember the last book in John, the last verse in John says, if everything that Jesus did was recorded, the world itself could not hold the books that were written. So he did many thousands and thousands of miracles. And who does he arrange to be there <laughs> on this resurrection morning alone? Mary Magdalene. What a thought. There ye shall see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run and bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Oh, those words, be not afraid, are all through the New Testament. Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. There shall they see me. And so the story of salvation is complete. Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of that, so shall we be raised if we die before the Lord comes. There's our guarantee, my friends. If we go to sleep before he comes, because Jesus rose, we will also rise. We may be among the group that when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven to take his faithful followers home and are alive to see him come, we can say with Isaiah of old, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. He will save us. At that early morning hour, certainly hosts of evil angels were there, and Satan was there. Also unseen watchers from the heavenly country were there, and they were guarding that tomb where Jesus lay. And the soldiers see a mighty being like lightning roll away the stone as if it were a small pebble. According to Matthew's gospel, a mighty earthquake occurred at his death on Calvary's hill. And so again now as Jesus rose, a mighty earthquake happened. And again, I say the earth knew its maker. The soldiers fell as dead men as they see this sight and hear the heavenly being cry out, Son of God, come forth. Oh, thy father calls thee. Thy father calls thee. 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15:55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Jesus conquered death as he rose from that grave. We come to this mystery of salvation that we will study for eternity. Jesus had told his disciples and the Pharisees in John 10, I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. He also told Martha at the time that he raised Lazarus from the dead, you know the words, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believeth in me shall never die. My friends, that's such a wonderful thing. If we're Christians, born-again Christians, when we die, are earthly. We die earthly. But Jesus has preserved us for eternity. And that's why Paul can say in Thessalonians, we'll come out of the grave when we hear the trumpet blast to see him coming in the clouds of heaven. But I want to bring you words from one writer, I believe inspired writer, that said these words, pointing to the new earth. The great controversy has ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms, realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their under, unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. Eternal Father, we're so thankful, so thankful for your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection. We realize that a third of all the Gospels is taken up with the Passion Week and the story, Passion Week and the resurrection. It has to be so very important to us. Lord, help us to understand what salvation means and help us to give our hearts to Jesus Christ and be born again, we pray in his holy name. Amen.